Thank you, Maggie, for the reminder of the Lamb of God who redeems. Take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. James chapter 5 is where we'll be. We're going to continue our series on the one another passages and how God expects us as a church to interact and respond to each other as a congregation and as a people. James chapter 5, we're going to look at one of the hardest, I think, of all the one another commands. We're going to look at the command to confess your sins to one another. James chapter 5 and verse uh, 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Let's pray. God, I pray that you'll help us to understand this command that you have given us to confess our sins to each other. Lord, it's a scary thing to do. Lord, it's one that we hesitate to do because we don't want people to think something of us that sometimes we don't even admit about ourselves. Lord, I pray that you'll give me uh, your words. Lord, as we sang a few moments ago, Lord, I pray that your glory will be seen through the preaching of your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We already talked about, in James chapter 5, verse 16, we already talked about the second command that's given there is pray to one another, pray for one another. And we'll add to that in this message, and so, but that's not the main point of what I want to talk about. Uh, they do go hand in hand, and, and I believe that, that prayer is a, is a natural uh, product of confession. But we want to talk about confessing to one another. And let's be honest for a moment. As soon as I say the phrase, confess your sins to one another, immediately what happens inside of you is, is this, this attitude of, no, I don't want to. It's fear. A number of uh, years ago, someone sent me, I don't know if it was on Facebook or if it was email or something, someone sent me a video and said, you've got to watch this. And so I was on my computer and I clicked, you know, the button to watch it and then suddenly it starts up and it's a, it's a scene in Africa and there's this, uh, it's in the, the prairie lands and there's a, there's a, a family of gazelles and they're, they're kind of sitting there and, and uh, one of them's, um, you know, squatted down, the other ones are kind of standing around and I noticed that the one that was laying down gets up and starts walking and he's hobbling and I'm, you know, and immediately you're like, oh, that's so bad. That's, that's so sad that it would be like that. And, and suddenly, before I even knew what was happening, a lion just came in and went, Whoo! and grabbed the injured gazelle and ran away and tore it to pieces. And now I'm sitting there going, why did the person send this to me? You ever feel like if I confess my sins to someone, that's what's going to happen? And I believe that's why a lot of us, you know, we hesitate on that because we feel like we're that, we're that animal, that, that injured gazelle, and here we are and we're licking our wounds and, and we're hurting and we're in pain. And if, if we bother telling someone, you know, before you know it, before, before long, then, that, then a week or so, and that's going to be all around church and everyone's going to know about it and, and they're going to hear this story. And really, the story they hear is going to be far more juicier than what actually happened, isn't it? And it's going to be a hor- horrific story, and, and I, there's no way that I want to, anyone to know about that. But obviously, it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. So much could be said about this subject of confessing our sins to one another. And we could look at it from a d- number of different perspectives. 
What I want to talk about just a few minutes this morning is what does it mean to confess our sins to one another? What prevents us from doing it? And then finally, what are the benefits when we confess? So the first thing I want to look at for a few moments is what is the meaning of confessing to one another? Well, if you look in that verse, that verse there it says in that passage, confess your sins. The word confess there, I, 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 love, I love the Greek language and I'm still learning it uh, and, and getting better at understanding it. But the reason the Greek language is a little different than English language is because the, they just change the ending or the beginning of it and it dramatically changes the way a word is and what it means. And so uh, you can tell the voice by it. And so this word confess in the Greek is, is the imperative voice, which what that means is it's a command. There's no uh, you know, wondering about this. There's no uh, hesitation. It's a simple command. It's as if you as a parent, you know, you're, you're in your, your kitchen and you call to your child and you say, do you say to your daughter, come here now. What are you expecting? <laughs> Them to come here now. That is what God is saying here. There's, a, there's an obvious statement of command. This is not a suggestion. This is not a do it if you want to. This is not a, you know, maybe if you feel like it. This is a command. We must confess to one another. Another thing about this in the Greek, though, it's a, uh, what's referred to as a present active voice. What does that mean? That means it's something that's happening now, but it's something that's happening on a continual basis. It's not something that we do one time and we stop. It's not something we only did in the past. It's something that we do constantly. It gives the idea of a continuous action over and over again. The word confess means to uh, profess, to acknowledge openly something. And here he tells us, he says, confess to one another. Now, the idea of confession is something we see throughout the Bible, and it's something that we're told many times to confess to God. And, and confession is, is all, always linked to forgiveness. And in 1 John 1.9, it says, if we confess our sins, and this is talking to God, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're told to confess. We're told to go to God and confess. And throughout Throughout the ages, we see over and over again, God tells His people to confess, and we see His people do confess. And when they confess, there is forgiveness. Daniel talked about this. He says, Then I turned my face to the Lord, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession. Then He tells us the confession that He made. We see over and over again, we're told to confess. But yet, as Christians, we still don't on a regular basis, do we? We still somehow think that if I don't confess to God, maybe somehow He doesn't know about it. Somehow God, we can hide it from God, and we've tried as believers to, to hide our sins, and to hide our sins from God is pure folly. It's foolishness. God wants you to acknowledge your sin. God already knows your sin. So why does He tell us to confess? He tells us to confess because He wants us to acknowledge it. He wants us to acknowledge, first of all, who He is and who we are in relation. That's why David in Psalm 139 said, O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You have known when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you and all know it all together. David is reminding us in this passage that God already knows our sins. You know, we go somewhere and we think no one sees, but God does. 
We go somewhere and we think, I, I can get away with this, but God knows. And, and, and really, that's, that's, that's a scary thought, but it's also a comforting thought because He knows. He knows when we need Him. But here's the, the reality. is As a Christian, we begin to acknowledge the fact that God knows everything I do. And I can't hide from God. So for me to go and confess my sin to God, well, you know, it just makes sense. But, men around me, they don't know my sins. They don't really know my inner thoughts and my, my deepest trials. And so, it's a lot easier really to confess our sins to God than it is to man. Why? Because we all want to project an image to people, don't we? We all want to project something different than we really are. Uh, I, uh, I find it interesting that, uh, you know, as serving as a youth pastor for many years, you, you know, I find that teens have a certain way they act around their friends and a complete different way they act around their parents. I have opportunity to be around some sometimes, and I, you know, they go around their friends and they act one way, and they go home, and, and if I'm able to be with them or I see them or I talk to their parents, it's like, oh, really, they did that? Wow, they would never do that around their friends. Why? Because we want to project an image. And we can't hide from God. We can't uh, put aside the things. We would never, I mean, think about this for a moment, we would never want anyone to hear our thoughts, would we? You know those thoughts that only God hears, that you contemplate and you think, oh, those aren't a good thing, but uh, because why? Because we think that if we let uh, other people know uh, uh, the real us, then they'll think we're really bad people. And they'll think there's something wrong of us. But the in truth is, we are all really bad people. We all sin. We all have problems. We all have uh, us things. That's, that's why in Romans he says, uh, as it is written, there, there is none uh, righteous. None. None of us are righteous. And so when it says confess, the idea is that we are to go to each other and share the difficulties and the struggles that we're having. The second thing I want to look at, though, for a few moments is, why don't we? What are the obstacles keeping us from confessing to one another? You know, to obey this command runs directly against human nature. It is not normal. It's not human nature for us to go to someone and tell them our faults. We see that throughout the Bible. You remember uh, in, in the Garden of Eden when everything was perfect and God said all that He had made was good and, and Adam and Eve, they were, they were happy. I mean, they were living an amazing life. And God said to them, you know, you can, you can do, you know, eat, do, eat anything you want. You can go over and you can eat this tree, this tree, this tree, this tree. You can eat this fruit, this fruit. You can eat all of this, but don't touch this one tree. And yet they did it. And what did they immediately do? Did they go and announce it to the world? No. What did they immediately do? The Bible tells us they went and they hid. It's a normal process. We see that because of that, God judged them. And then they go on and they have their, their first two children, Cain and Abel, and, and, and everything's going well. And then God tells them to offer sacrifice. And God comes to, to, to Cain and says, your, your sacrifice is not pleasing to me. Abel's was, but yours wasn't. And so Cain in his anger goes and, and we have the first murder of Scripture. He kills his brother Abel. And, and what does he immediately do? 
He hides. The Bible says God comes to Cain and says, Cain, where's your brother? And he goes, why should I know? What does it, what, what does it matter to me? He hides. We go on and we see throughout uh, uh, the Bible over and over and over again, that's mankind's natural desire. We see the story of Joseph when Joseph was was um, coming and meeting his brothers and they were angry at him. They hated him because uh, their father favored him over them. And, and as they're approaching, they said, what should we do with him? Should we kill him? Should we throw him in this pit? And they finally decide, let's sell him into slavery. And then what do they do? They take his coat and they kill an animal and they put the blood over and they come back and they say, Dad, an animal must have got him. They hide. We understand this over and over again. If any of you here are parents, then you've had experience of this. You know, very rare is it that your child comes out and admits what they did wrong, is it? Why? Because they, uh, they, they, we have a desire to hide. But why do we do that? Why is it that we won't confess our sins to God and we won't confess our sins to each other? I believe there's three reasons we can look at uh, this morning. First of all, uh, the first one is pride. Pride. The thing that got Lucifer expelled from heaven and the thing that introduced sin into the world through Adam was pride. Pride. What is pride? Pride is a decision to usurp the authority of God in our lives and to make ourselves our own God. You know, all of us sin. And all of our sin, all of our disobedience, all of our unbelief can ultimately be traced back to the attitude of pride. And what we ultimately say is this, God... I can do it myself. I don't need you. There's nothing God can do about my problem. Now, none of us would actually say that. None of us would actually voice that. Nothing that God can do. But by our actions, we say that all the time. When we know it is right and we don't do it. When we know what is wrong and yet we do it. And what it is in our life, it's pride that says, I want to do my own thing, I want to go my own way, and and I want to usurp God's authority. But pride's dangerous. And pride is especially dangerous for Christians because we realize that once we're saved, there's this thing called eternal security. We start thinking that we're better than others. We start thinking that we have accomplished something. We start thinking that because we have this, this home prepared for us in heaven that somehow we've arrived. And yet, in our pride, we miss over and over again the sin. And so pride will not allow us to admit our failures, much less go to a Christian and tell them what we've done and how we've failed. And here's the thing. If I come to you, if I'm struggling with a sin and I come to you and say, say to you this, I have a problem I want to talk to you about. I have a strong urge, a strong sin in my life that I'm having a difficult time fighting. And I need you to pray for me. What I believe we're actually doing when we do that is we're actually placing the other person as greater than ourselves. And that's what we struggle with. Because what we're saying is this. We're basically saying, you're a spiritually mature believer. You're more of the mature than I am, but maybe particularly in this area. And I need your help. And I need you to help me in this area. And so by doing that, what we're saying is, is, I'm not as good as you in this area. 
or I need help. And pride kicks in and pride balks at the idea of humbling ourselves so hard that many times we are not willing to confess. And that's why I believe so many Christians, one of the reasons so many Christians are afraid to confess is because of our pride. We don't want someone to think about that about us. But not only pride, I think the second reason that we oftentimes don't confess our sins is because of fear. You say, fear of what? Well, fear of rejection. Or possibly it's fear of lowering our, uh, the opinion someone else has of us. And fear is a response that we get. We have this fear that if, if I confess my sin to someone, it's just going to make it worse. I'm reminded of an uh, old postcard that someone once gave me. It said this, uh, they told me, cheer up, things could get worse. So I cheered up, and sure enough, things got worse. If I confess my sins, it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And fear of what can happen will paralyze us from doing the very thing that can help us grow. Fear of how someone's going to respond will actually keep us from doing what God asks us to do that will give us healing. You say, well, shouldn't I be cautious? I mean, shouldn't I be hesitant about spilling my guts to someone else about my problems? Yes, you should be hesitant, but you should be willing to confess to someone that you know cares about you. James isn't telling us here in this passage, he's not saying in this passage, you know, publish it in the church newsletter, all of your sins. What he's saying there is there should be a strong enough bond of love and unity in this body in this local church, that we should be able to find ourselves in a situation that if you're caught up in a sin, if you're struggling with an area, and maybe it's not, you know, a lot of times we think it's some big, massive thing. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a little area, but you're caught up in that, that you know that there's someone who loves you enough and cares about you enough that you can go to them and talk to them and pray it out and talk it out and see it through. But because of fear, we often hold back. But I think the final reason is because of sin. You say, well, isn't that the point of what we're talking about? And I don't mean sin in the, in the sin nature sense. I mean sins. See, because here's the reason, uh, here's the thing, is the things we do, the attitudes we refuse to change, the little things we cling to, cling to as though we lose our identity to stop them, we actually do them because we like them. And sometimes we excuse them as just, this is who we are. You ever heard this before? That person's a hothead. Oh, that person's, I've heard this one before from people talking about someone else. They say, well, they're, they're a redhead. They can't help their temper. As if it's almost like a virtue. As if it's almost like an acceptable thing. It's... it's and, and, and that's the problem, and we get to the root of it. The real reason that we don't go to each other and confess our sins, and the real reason that we don't seek each other for help to grow in our relationship with God is because uh, this one thing, because we like it. We like our sin. We love it. The very thought of going and confessing to a brother is far, far from our mind because to even come to the place of thinking about doing that means we must come to the place where we want to turn from it. We all struggle with that. 
But if we begin to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we understand that when Jesus Christ died and took our place and took our penalty of our sin, then what he did was he gave us the opportunity to be free from it. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 1 and 2, notice what it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin live in it? The amazing thought is when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, my sins were placed on Him and I am not bound to them anymore. They have no more captivity on me. They have no more authority on me. And, and Paul goes on in Romans chapter 6 and he says this, We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to it. God says, my desire is when, when, when I place your sin on my son, you no longer have, are, are under the control of sin, the shackles of sin. He goes on, and later on in that chapter, he says this, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. If sin no, is no longer your master, that means you, it no longer has a legal hold on you. I haven't had the opportunity to do this. Maybe some of you have. I know some of you have. But one day it will come when I, my wife and I will be able to go to the bank and take our mortgage and rip it into pieces because we paid it off. And if you want to do that for us, we'd appreciate that. But uh, one day that will happen. And you know what? When that happens, I will no, we will no longer be legally bound to that mortgage. But Jesus paid a debt that I could not pay. You are freed from the power of sin by the virtue of your death and resurrection into newness of life in Christ. Because of what Jesus did, you have a new life. Therefore, here's the thing though, when you and I sin, we don't fall into it. We don't get tricked into it. We don't get pulled into it. We don't get pushed into it. We do it because we like it. And until we admit that, we're going to continue to struggle. Many of you know I go to a, a conference once a year in, in Lafayette on counseling, and there's a phrase they say there over and over again. We do what we do because we like what we like. And that is reality. You do what you do because you like what you like. And so why is it that we don't confess our sins to one another? Because we like our sins way too much. We like our sins so much. And when we come to the realization that the reason that we don't confess our sins is because we like it, then in that state of mind, who's going to confess to their brother? No one. We must then walk in a spirit of humility and repentance searching God's Scriptures and the exhortation of God's Scriptures to live holy and strive to walk by those exhortations to live holy. Then, as we're walking by those exhortations to live holy, we come along and we recognize sin in our life. Now, because we realize we're no longer bound to that sin and it shouldn't be something that's a part of us, then we're willing and even desirous to go to a trusted brother or sister in Christ for help. 
I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this area of pride, and, I, and I, I hate this pride. And as I'm reading Scripture, I see the Bible says that I should not be filled with pride, yet I am still filled with pride. And I, I'm struggling, and I need some help. And we go to a, Christian, say, a fellow Christian, can you pray for me? You say, well, here's the thing. Can't we just go to God? Can't we just go to Jesus? I mean, do we have to confess our sins to anyone else? Well, you know, we don't have to confess our sins to anyone else for forgiveness in the eternal sense. But I believe that every word in Scripture is true. I don't know if anyone agrees with me on that. It's kind of silent there. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, James admonished us to confess. There must have been a reason God put that in there. You say, well, what was it? I'm glad you asked. That's the last thing I want to talk about in just the next few moments. Is what are the benefits of confessing to one another? What are the benefits Look, if you will, in James, and this is where we're really going to focus on the text that I had you turn to in James chapter 5. And here's the, the thing. is The immediate answer to that question is found in James chapter 5 and verse 16. What are the benefits of confessing to one another? Notice James 5, 16. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that, and then notice, that you may be healed. The immediate answer to the question is, what are the benefits of confessing to one another? Is that healing? But what is he talking about in this passage? What is, what is the idea of what he's saying in this passage? I want to read with, uh, if you will, uh, follow along as I read, starting in verse 13. Notice what he says. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him praise. Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. What is the idea of what he's talking about? Really, to understand this passage, we have to understand all the details that surround it. And so, if you will, look in your Bibles at James chapter 1. Going back to James chapter 1. Remember, James is writing, if you've studied this before, you know James is writing to uh, Jewish individuals who have, have turned their life to Christ. And, and because they have turned their life to Christ, many of them are facing horrific persecution. Many of them on a daily basis are fearing their, for their lives. And, and they're struggling with, in, in some cases it's physical persecution, in some cases it was financial persecution. But over and over again they were facing persecution. And so James begins to write this letter to them to remind them of God's love for them and to remind them how to respond. And he says in in James chapter 1 and verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith works, uh, produces steadfastness. James starts off his letter in a, an incredible way. I mean, how would you like to get that letter? <laughs> you know, you're waiting for someone to send you a letter of encouragement, and the first thing they said to you is, you know, rejoice when you have trials. <laughs> you know, you'd be like, thanks a lot. I do not want to read the rest. But James was trying to make a point. They were in, in the middle of persecution, and he said in the middle of that persecution, you know, thank God, because he's doing it for a reason. 
Go on to chapter 5, flip to chapter 5 then. And we get to the context that we're actually reading here in chapter 5. He's continuing on that theme of persecution. And he says in verse 7 of James chapter 5, Be patient, therefore. We were talking about this in my Sunday school class about trials. And oftentimes we pray that the trial will end. And I commented on that, and I'm not saying that this is wrong, but think about the prayer life of most people. What do we pray for? Pray that sickness will get done, that we'll get the job back that we wanted, that our kids will behave. Those are the things that we pray for. I'm not saying those things are wrong, but I believe what we need to pray for is, God, help me to learn the lesson you're trying to teach me through this trial that you've placed in my life. And James is telling them that in in this passage, and he says, be patient. Then notice verse 8, you also be patient. Then verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets. And he says, look back at the prophets. They endured, and many of them never saw the end of their trial. He goes on, verse 11, he said, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He says to them, remember these things. And so this is the context as we come to chapter 5 and verse 13. He's dealing with suffering. And a lot of times this passage is misinterpreted and we kind of pull it out and we say, okay, he's dealing with physical uh, suffering. He's dealing with physical problems. And yes, there is that element that he's dealing with physical problems. But he is dealing with not just physical problems. He's dealing with, uh, with, with spiritual problems because of persecution and trials that are going on in their lives. And so based on the context of this passage of persecution, we understand what he's saying. The suffering is not necessarily health issues. As if it's the, the, likelihood is that they are, uh, it, the, the likelihood is that there are physical issues that have resulted from persecution, if anything dealing here is physical. The Greek word that we see in verse 16 for healed actually is used in Scripture in in multiple ways, and it could be physical healing, but it could also be spiritual healing. And in fact, I think that's the stronger element there. He's talking about a spiritual healing that takes place. And I want to offer this to you, and I hope, I hope this helps as we go through this. We could take a long, lot longer time to discuss this particular passage and what he's talking about in this passage, but I hope this helps. I believe that God heals physically. I believe that sometimes God heals physically instantaneous. I believe still today that God at times does miracles. So I know that God still heals today, and I'm not going to say that point. But I also know that we do not obligate to God with some sort of name-it-claim-it doctrine. Like there's some magical formula of healing that takes place when the deacons of the church come and pray over you. Is that something that should be done? Absolutely. I am not saying it shouldn't. But what you've got to remember here is these people were physically beaten but they were also spiritually beaten. And they had come to a point where they were just, uh, in some cases, they were giving up. It may be here that the elders literally were rubbing oil on the believers who had suffered physical injuries from persecution. 
Medical science was certainly in a primitive state at that time, and there was few trustworthy doctors. It, it could have been, and it might have been, that it was a gracious act of kindness where these elders were going and they were rubbing oil on the wounds of those who had been beaten. I say that because I want you to understand the idea of what he's saying here. You know, I cannot agree with a blanket statement that some people say that if we confess our sins, that we're going to automatically have physical healing. I don't think that's an accurate reading of this text. Common sense tells us that's not an accurate reading of this text. There's been many times throughout history, countless times, where uh, someone, brother or sister, in sincere, godly repentance, confessed their sin and prayed for someone, and they were not necessarily healed. So I want to draw a conclusion about this. God may well, very uh, well heal you. And God may heal a physical ailment instantly because of a step of confession. But not necessarily. However, I believe any time a brother or sister in Christ go to each other and confess their sin and ask for prayer, there is a spiritual healing that takes place. And I believe that's what's being talked about here. God is saying there is a spiritual healing that takes place. And so what is the benefits of confessing to one another? I have a few here. First of all, confession brings healing in ourselves and with God. A healing of a spiritual nature uh, takes place, and a healing of a spiritual nature always, always falls on the work of God. Always. A familiar text in Isaiah where it's talking about what Jesus Christ, a prophetic passage of what Jesus Christ is going to do for us. It says this, but he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And then notice this, and with his wounds we are healed. Because of the suffering and the death and the resurrection of Christ, Everyone in this room can be healed spiritually. Everyone. Your physical pain may continue, but you can be healed spiritually. Our transgressions are removed from us and we're given a new life. So healing, confession brings healing in ourselves and with God. Galatians also talks about this and says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. We'll talk about that one in a couple weeks. But, uh, and, and he's telling us there that if you're, you're, you have found a brother who's fallen into sin, come alongside. And we talked about encourage one another a while ago, the idea of coming alongside. And I believe that confession brings healing because here's how it works. If I go to a brother and I say, you know what, I am struggling in this area. He comes alongside of me and he helps me carry my burden. And he lessens my pain. He carries the load of those that are hurting. It brings healing in ourselves. But secondly, not only does it bring healing in ourselves and with God, but secondly, confession brings healing with others. Do you know who is the most likely person to go to when you want to confess sin? A lot of times it's the person your sin has hurt the most. You know, when I 
uh, have times where I go to my family, whether it's my wife, my son, my daughter, and I confess the sin to them, I don't think it's ever a shock. (laughs) And to be honest, most of the time my sin that I'm struggling with, they're the ones that are getting hurt the most by it. And so when I confess my sin, if, I, if, if there's someone in your life or in my life that I've hurt, a, 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 a fellow Christian in this church or maybe somewhere else, that, and, and you know that, that and you know what, they need healing that only your confession to them can bring. You know, don't hold back their healing. And because we confess, we can bring healing to others if we'll just respond properly. And two more here quickly. Confession brings accountability. As I previously stated, it's harder for us to confess our sins to a brother than to God because uh, they see us for who we really are. And they see us that way, and we're afraid that we're going to see them. But really, that's, that's the, the benefit of it. When we trust someone enough that we go to them and share our struggles, we, we trust that they're not going to gossip about it. However, this person then can reinforce us in our problems. When I was in college, they, uh, we, we were taught to, uh, uh, all the time to, to have accountability partners have someone that I can go to and, and share with them my, my spiritual problems and my needs. And, and, and it wasn't a gossip session. It was a time where we, we could mutually share what we're struggling with and, 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 and we can keep each other accountable. There are men in this church that are, that are struggling and, and they'll come to me and say, can you keep me accountable? And I, I appreciate that. There are others that do that with each other. And maybe it is that you're struggling with a sin in your life. And maybe, maybe it's a small thing. Maybe it's a big thing. Maybe, maybe you're a man in here and you're struggling in the area of of pornography you don't know how to get over it you're afraid if i tell someone you know they're going to mock me they're going to laugh me they're going to look down on me maybe what you need is accountability partner that'll come alongside of you a brother who loves you dearly and maybe you're a teen here and you're struggling with rebellion to your parents your attitude is of, of hate towards them Maybe you need an accountability partner. It doesn't have to be a peer. Maybe it's, a, it's, another, it's an adult in this church who can come alongside of you and ask, how are you doing? And confession allows you to have someone who's going to come alongside of you. Maybe you're in here and you're a couple and your marriage is struggling and no one knows it but you and your spouse. Can I tell you what? You're not alone. And there are other people who would be willing to come alongside of you and be your accountability partners and love you and care for you and work you through it and help you. You know, confession creates accountability. It allows for us to share our burdens with others and allows us to grow through it. But then finally, confession confronts pride. It is the nature of man, as I said earlier, to want to be respected by their peers. By nature, we like to tell ourselves that we are good people, even when we're not. And regular confession breaks the cycle of pride in our lives. Oh, it's hard. It's hard to sit across from someone and say, you know what? I failed in this way. I don't say it to brag. I say it because 
I need your prayer. We must be accountable to each other, Christians. We must practice Christ-like love for one another. Look for opportunities to walk in obedience to those one another verses that we've been studying over the past weeks to such a degree that we will actually learn to trust each other. We will actually learn to love each other. We'll actually learn to build a sense of family relationship that we feel comfortable to go to someone and say, I need your ear. I need your prayer. I have failed. You know, none of us is above that need. Someone once wrote this. It often helps in time of trial when fearful and alone to know that every doubt we feel the greatest saints have known. The one thing we must never forget though, if you look back in James chapter 5, one final thing and we'll be done. In James chapter 5, we can never forget what it says in verse 16. It says, therefore confess your sins to one another and then what does it say? And pray for one another. And then it tells us the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The final thing we cannot forget is that confession must be for the purpose of prayer. Because here's the thing, confession does not heal. Sympathy does not heal. Forgiveness from a brother does not help us to heal without the ointment of prayer. Without the working of prayer in our life. This is why it's so vital and so important that we're accountable to one another. That we're accountable to each other for our problems because the great physician, the one who prescribes healing for his church, says that it happens through confession, accountability, and prayer. You know, I believe that obedience to this particular exhortation is very telling about an overall condition of a church. Because when we have the kind of mutual accountability, when we have the kind of Uh, of accountability, we're willing to confess. You know what I believe happens is that we produce a loving, spiritually mature church. If confession to one another is present, it's because, number one, we understand the grace of God. When someone comes to me and says, you know, Pastor Pete, I want to share with you what I'm struggling with and I look down on them, then I don't understand God's grace in my life. But when I begin to understand God's grace in my life, the only thing I can do is lift them up. When we see confession present in a church, it's because they understand God's grace, but also it's a church of love. So I have two questions just to end with this morning. Are you the type of person that people can confess to you their sins? Or are you the type of person that judges and condemns? Are you the type of person that your first thought when they come to you is, I can't wait to tell so-and-so? Are you the type of person when they come, the first thought you have is, let's pray? Are you the type of person that the first thought you have is, well, let me figure out the the remedy to your problem. Are you the type of person the first thing you say is, the only one that can remedy this is God? The first question is, are you the type of person that people can confess their sin to? And the second question I have is, are you confessing your sin to one another? That's how you're going to grow. 
Let's pray. God, we are thankful for this body. Lord, I am thankful that we have individuals in this church who, who love me enough that they're willing to listen when I need to confess my sin. That they're willing to pray. Lord, we pray to You not because we're better than those we're praying for, but we pray to You because we know that we're all equally wicked apart from the grace of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that You'll help us to be a church who loves each other enough that we're willing to confess to each other, we're willing to pray for each other, we're willing to keep each other accountable, and we're willing to lift each other up. Lord, we thank You for all You've done. We thank You for the grace that you have given us through Jesus Christ. And we ask this in your name. Amen.